Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. 14, mission two, San Jose From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome back to the big event, and welcome to the intro again, Heather Knight. Hey, it's good to be back. So should we get right to the news? Yeah, we have an announcement. We have a huge announcement, <laughs> uh, Total SF-related, event-related. Heather? So we are going to be having our own movie night. We are screening what I think may be the most underrated movie filmed in San Francisco, So I Married an Axe Murderer. We're going to be showing it on April 4th. Movie starts at 7.30 at the Balboa Theater, but you can come an hour early at 6.30 to mingle, drink some beer and wine, and listen to us record a podcast in the lobby called Tribute to the Richmond District. Yeah, we're going to have some kind of Richmond District (laughs) all-stars coming by, and we're going to interview them. It's going to be fun. Um, You can meet us. It'll be time to meet us. Beer, wine, I think you mentioned that. It's It's. It's It's are for sale. They sell It's It's there. It's a great theater on Balboa. The Balboa Theater. Peter, are you going to show up in your Itzit costume? I will not. It's kind of <laughs> bulky. I can get it on BART, but I don't think I can get it on a bus. Um, but uh, I think it's a really good fit. It's a wonderful neighborhood theater, and we got to meet the proprietor, yes. uh, Adam Bergeron. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a Glen Park parent like me, has two kids, and he's uh, run some music and entertainment venues and tells a funny story in this podcast about going to see a um, Eddie Murphy movie, right, with his wife at the Balboa and deciding on a whim that he wanted to run this theater. <laughs> yeah. And like by that Saturday, he was doing it. So this is this podcast is our tribute to neighborhood theaters. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about neighborhood theaters. I'm going to do the archive thing and get into a little bit of history. And uh, you're going to get a chance to talk to Adam and, and get his story, too. Yeah. He has, uh, he's also a collector of San Francisco memorabilia, which you can also see in the lobby of the Balboa Theater if you come to our movie April 4th. At 7.30, podcast <laughs> at 6.30. You can buy tickets now, www.balboamovies.com. You can buy the ticket now, get it reserved. This could sell out quick. <laughs> There's going to be a stampede. There's going to be a stampede. No, get your tickets now, bring friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can meet us in person. We're really excited about it. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to the big event and our tribute to neighborhood theaters. Welcome back, Heather Knight. Hey, it's good to be back. And Adam Bergeron. Hey, good to be here. I am so glad you're here. You are the uh, proprietor of the, is that a good word? Yes. Proprietor of the Balboa and Vogue? Correct. And uh, a fan of neighborhood theaters, I'm guessing. <laughs> Correct. And it, it, neighborhood theaters and movies in general. Yeah. I hope he doesn't hate them while he's running them. <laughs> I think it's like the coolest job. And like for me, that or a bookstore, I feel like running would be the best. No, I think a movie theater would be cooler. Yeah. I think if I were a proprietor of a movie theater, I might lose a little bit of that and, you know, start to see, 
you know, behind the scenes and stuff and, it, and maybe lose a little bit of the magic. But I think most of the magic would still stay there. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, what, what you lose a little bit of is money as you as you <laughs> as you play out your your dream scenarios, because you always you, you dream of these double features that you're going to do. And then you realize later that, that they're, they're only the ones that you wanted to see. <laughs> well, that's very cool. Um, we're going to get into a little bit about the Balboa and your story. And we're going to talk about neighborhood theaters in general. But I wanted to start with just first movie theater memory. It can be neighborhood theater or non-neighborhood theater. Adam, you got one? I do. It, it, this is not the first movie that I ever saw in a theater. But in 1977, when I was eight years old, we were traveling across the country with our family, moving from Connecticut to North Carolina and taking a circuitous route. And we had been hearing all along about this movie, Star Wars, but we hadn't seen it yet. And we came to San Francisco, and somehow my parents knew that the Coronet was kind of home base for Star Wars. So, and this was July, so the movie had been out for two or three months at that point, and we went to the Coronet Theater, and it was sold out to the point where my brother and I sat together, but he had a broken seat, and my parents couldn't sit with us. And my wow. brother was five, and I was eight. <laughs> and then the, the, you know, the movie started, and the galaxy far, far away, the crawl came up, and I had to read it to my, to my oh. little brother, who didn't really know how to read yet. But, but literally, that was, you know, life was different after that <laughs> day when we saw Star Wars at the Coronet. It was amazing. Aww. What a great origin story for a theater owner it was it, yeah. it really and it felt special like that you know it was it was sold out and everyone you know when we were in there everyone knew that it had been sold out and we even had my brother and i had iron-on t-shirts before <laughs> we saw the movie we had star wars t-shirts that were ironed on because yeah. that's what a big deal it was in 1977 yeah, yeah. that's so great in the movie i mean oh you must have loved it oh my god yeah. life-changing Good one. Heather beat that. <laughs> That's a tough act to follow. <laughs> I grew up in Davis, and I don't remember the name of the theater, but um, my first movie was Sleeping Beauty when I was three. And um, I don't remember it in the detail that you <laughs> remember yours, but I do remember loving it and um, just knowing that that was my first movie in a theater. And so then I had the idea when my older son was three, oh, it's time to take him to his first movie, and Planes was out. And so I took him to the Metreon. And I was like, you know, it's going to be a couple hours. It's going to be dark. And so if you don't like it, we don't have to stay for the whole thing. We can just, you know, see how you like it. And we can leave in the middle if you want to. And he took this to heart. And so like 10 minutes in, he's like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready to go. And I was like, oh, man. (laughs) We just spent a lot of money for 10 minutes. That's why you just got to just ply him with snacks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to actually look up what my first one was. I, I had a friend who had an older brother who would kind of shepherd us around, and both of our parents worked. So the older brother who was in high school would take us to stuff he was doing, a, a lot of times, you know, probably a little bit above our age level. So the first two movies I remember were Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I don't think I saw in 75. I think I saw it like as a revival type thing a year or two later. And Close Encounters of a of the third kind, which there's like a child abduction in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pretty intense. It's a really good film. I remember both of them just being wide-eyed at at the spectacle of it and of being, I remember being with Barney, my friend Brian's older brother, uh, Barney Black. He, he would, uh, just a real guy we looked up to. So it was kind of cool being at those older movies. And that was on the peninsula. 
Um, my seminal tale, though, is when I went to uh, Santa Barbara with my parents in, I think it was 81. I was all about Star Wars. I'm the same age as you. So all about Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. All I wanted was to see like more space uh, opera type movies. And my parents are like, hey, we saw this movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We think you're going to like it. And they're describing it to me, and I'm like, 50s, Nazis? I mean, it just sounded so boring and not what I wanted to see. And they're like, just go. We're going to go to some garden or whatever you do in Santa Barbara when you're, you know, in your 40s. And they dropped me off there at the Arlington, which for me, it was the theater as much as the experience. Um, I remember as much as the movie and how much I loved the movie, I remember just looking around and at the Arlington, there's like this kind of Spanish theme inside with various like uh, windows and cool elements to the theater. And as much as I fell in love with the movie, I fell in love with theaters. I don't know if you felt that way about the coronet, Adam, but. Oh, I did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was an absolutely magical experience. And at that time, in history, there was a lot of those theaters left over from that time, yeah. you know, from the, the 20s and 30s and 40s, that sort of golden age of cinema and, and theaters. And you, you could and they were still in pretty good shape. Yeah, you, I, could, you saw a lot of movies in them. Coronet, it's gone now. It was demolished uh, several years ago to make way for, a, um, I think, an old age center yeah that sounds right um and but but there are still theaters around there's yours and there's the roxy the castro i looked in the chronicle and the castro was about to be demolished and they put up a big fight for that they weren't able to save the fox which was another really beautiful theater on market but um there's a lot of theaters around here i wanted to ask you just about neighborhood theaters is there something special about not just going to the theater and that experience, but having something in your neighborhood, having something you can walk or take transit to, kind of the non-multiplex theater. I, I, there is. I mean, if, if I were to use the Balboa as an example, just because it's the one I know, it, it, it really services that neighborhood. You know, we when when we program it, we think about the people that live in our neighborhood and what they what they might come and see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of families and we do a lot of family programming, uh, but there's, but there's also a, there's a wide range of people, but you really get to know what people like and people will send me emails directly. Hey, Adam, I'd really love it if you, I'll bring all my friends if you show this one, yeah. you know? And, 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 uh, and so that's, that's a connection that we're able to have. And I think it's a real connection. And even though the Vogue and Balboa are only a few miles apart, you definitely have different clientele, right? And we'll schedule different movies oh, absolutely. accordingly. Absolutely. Like we schedule the Vogue as as a as an art, a true art house theater. You know, with art house films to dust is there right now and you know, who will tell our history is is next week. These are small, cool art house films. Whereas at Balboa, it's much more of a uh, it's more like more public programming. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have a neighborhood theater, Heather? Do you have one right now? There's there's nothing in Glen Park. Right? No. Yeah. Um, our easiest one to get to is the um, one off the 280 in Daly City. So that's where uh, I go to no. take kids. But it's totally not the same. Like, I love neighborhood movies. I love the Castro, and I love the sing-alongs they have there now. I've um, nice. taken the kids to a couple of those, the Moana one. Um, it's just fun to like to make an event out of it rather than just going to see the movie. It actually feels like a special event. I, I grew up in Burlingame, and the Hyatt was biking distance. It was, a, it was a scary bike ride on a frontage road right along 101, but I could take my little 10-speed out there when I, once I hit about 11 or 12. And it was a beautiful theater with kind of a cinerama, kind of a curved screen. Mm -hmm. 
and a really big auditorium and then a couple of smaller theaters off to the side. But all through my life, anywhere I moved, I always looked for a place to live that was near a theater. When I was in L.A., I didn't know anything about L.A., so I'm like, I want to live near the Man's Chinese Theater and uh, and be able to walk to the Cinerama Dome. And, and uh, when I moved to um, Oakland, I wanted to be near the Grand Lake. And then yeah. now in Alameda, I was kind of bummed I moved there and there was no theater. But then they restored this beautiful Art Deco theater in Alameda. And the thing I like about it is it's kind of like pairings, like wine pairings, <laughs> but with yeah. theater. Every neighborhood <laughs> theater, you have like, places you can go maybe there's a bookstore you can walk to nearby or maybe there's a couple of restaurants or you want to try a new restaurant there we have an 80s arcade near our theater in Alameda you know in each theater there's sort of this you have the personality of the theater mm-hmm. that's always different but also the personality of the neighborhood around it which is changing too and the personality of the people who go to movies at that particular theater I think yeah. is always distinct what was the name of the one on the hate before the Red Vic. Red Vic. I used to live in the Hate and loved going there. I love any theater where you're not sitting in the traditional chair. <laughs> like th- that had couches, <laughs> which was a big plus. Yep. Yeah. You remember the Red Vic? Sure do. Yeah. I lived there too for a brief amount of time in the Hate. Uh, a racer head at the Red Vic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I saw there. What did you I see? I remember seeing it? a Brad Pitt movie. Which is nice in a variety of ways. Yeah, I remember like a Richard Linkletter one day and then something like a Racerhead the next. I mean, it was a real mix there. And I remember the popcorn. It was kind of like <laughs> soggy and they offered to put yeast in it, which uh, was a little different. It was in a bowl, but it was oh, yeah. sort of like what they should be doing everywhere now. Right. It was a kind of reusability and recycling before I, movie theaters were really thinking about that. So R.I.P. Redvik. Uh, uh, San Francisco neighborhood theater history. Adam, do you keep track of that or even just, you know, growing up? I know some. Yeah. I, I definitely know some, and I certainly miss a lot of them that, that have gone down in my time in the city. What would you bring back? I mean, things that either went down while you were gone, and not like, not like it deserves to come back because it could thrive. Just what would you like to step into one more time? I mean, I would say the coronet for, for, for obvious reasons because my previous story, but also the, the coronet is... It's a little surprising now that the that the that the coronet went down, because it had such a history. It had more history than any other theater in the city did, really. Yeah, at Geary and Palm, kind of. Uh, I don't know if it's technically Richmond. It may just be in that end where it's it's right on the Western Edition. But all of the Star Wars films open there. All the big spectacle films open there. I've heard from Gary Meyer and other people that um, Coppola and and Lucas always wanted their films to open at either the Coronet or the North Point because hmm. North Point had the best sound and Coronet had the best. Where picture. was North Point? Uh, in North Beach, I think. I don't. I don't. I, I want to say it was like right around Columbus, not too far from Fisherman's Wharf. Exorcist opened there. Um, Godfather, I think, opened there. The uh, Star Trek Two open there. Rathacana. Close Encounters, <laughs> Close <laughs> Encounters, and most of the Star Wars movies opened at the Coronet. Oh, and cool. uh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's a good one. Coronet. Any, any others that you? Uh, the Alexandria, which there's still uh, hope for. Really? Well, I mean, it's there. Yeah. The building is there. It's not gone. You know, I know that it would be a, a gigantic reclamation project, but it would be nice. I think that that end of the city could really use a you know that geary corridor yeah could use the boost it's it's what it about uh geary and 20 somethingeth exactly that was kelly my wife and mm-hmm. i that was our first date um, uh-huh. i don't know the name of the film 
Double Jeopardy. It was uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Ashley Judd, I think. Oh, yeah. And we went to a little neighborhood uh, Italian restaurant nearby. One of the ones like that uh, Jonathan Kaufman would have Uh written about recently. You know, these old school, been there forever restaurants. And then we walked over there for our first date. And we had known each other since we were 19. And we we had been kind of dancing around for 12 years. So it was a very memorable date. So I'd love he that theater back. He was chasing her for 12 years. Yeah, it was <laughs> very sweet. Um, but uh, New Mission is another example. Like that one closed. Everybody had written it off. Nobody even knew that the theater, there's this huge, beautiful theater in the middle of this block in the Mission District, and that came back. So they can come back. Yep. Yeah. I remember going into the New Mission years before Alamo came back in, and it was all graffitied and there were people living inside of it and it it seemed like boy there's no way you could bring this back and then they've done such a wonderful job of it yeah a nice five screen theater have you been there yeah i love that you can order food and drinks from your seat yeah very nice um couple that i would bring back i actually on my blog years ago went in our our archive and found all the photos that i could of theaters that were gone and i found i think more than 30 um the surf and the sunset district 333-seat theater in the middle of a neighborhood. It closed in 1983. When we started like having people talk about their experiences, so many people had great stories about the surf and seeing movies there and the community that developed with the people who worked there. It just seemed like a beautiful, nice little hole-in-the-wall neighborhood theater. So uh, I like the surf. The Parkside Theater on Terravel in the Sunset District was um, this actually really beautiful theater but like a lot of theaters to keep it going they'd twin it or turn it into three or whatever they would have to do and I heard at the very end that the bottom floor was being used as a daycare and if you (laughs) wanted to this like in the 80s and if you wanted to go see a movie there you had to actually go sit up in the balcony and there were like you know there weren't kids playing down there but there were like all their toys and stuff you could like see the daycare down below you and you could only see the theater from the balcony before it gave its last gasp so there was one theater i think the presidio maybe um that when i had my boys would allow you there was like a mom's movie matinee every week where you could bring the babies and just watch the movie and nobody cared if kids were screaming or you're changing oh, diapers yeah. and because it was all moms so there was nobody to be mad at you it was <laughs> Baby great. Yeah, yeah. we did that at the did vogue for, oh, cool. a, for a brief time yeah. yeah the tough part is you it, it, it only works for six or eight months right and yeah. then your babies you are graduate too old out of it and, yeah, you gotta keep marketing to a new audience <laughs> well, I I've, I had written around that time, you know, just really sadly and regretfully about all the theaters that are gone. And I called, I may get his name wrong, Jack Tilmany. He's a, a collector of theater photographs and theater history and really knowledgeable person about Bay Area theaters. He's written a couple of books. And I told him this. I'm like, I'm so mad they tore down the Fox. I'm so mad about these things that are gone. And he flipped it around and said, no, you got to be happy about what's still around. Because the Bay Area, he said, there's a lot of other big cities that have nothing left. In the Bay Area, there's a lot of theaters left, mm-hmm. like theaters that you can go see a movie. And then there are a lot of theater buildings like the Warfield and the Golden Gate and the Curran. Um, that the Warfield showed movies for years, the Paramount in Oakland that have been revived for other things. And you can still use the building, mm-hmm. even some churches, the Fairfax in Oakland and the El Rey in San Francisco. Isn't there one that was changed into a gym? Yes, yeah. the so Alhambra. Yeah. Yep. The and Alhambra. The metro too. Yeah, and the Metro. So and and he even said he mentioned the Alhambra and he said, Yeah, it's a crunch gym, 
But if you go in there, they haven't messed with the architecture. Maybe it'll never be a theater again, but you still can have that, you know, that history there. And and that then I got turned around and I just tell people, if you're bummed about what's not there, then just go visit the things that are there. That's the thing about San Franciscans is we only get bummed that something's gone after the fact and we don't do enough to keep it going, you know, yeah. while it's still around. That happens over and over. Yeah. So let's Talk about that. Let's talk about the Balboa and your interest in history. And uh, I will be the questioner now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you live in my neighborhood, Glen Park, right? I do. Yeah, I and you have Glen kids. Park. Yep. How old are they? Twenty and eighteen. Oh, I thought they were. So younger. they're not even kids anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they're still your kids. Um, and when did you get interested in the movie? Business? Well, so you know, it's it's funny. I mean, years ago, we, my wife and I went to see a movie at the Balboa. And we walked across the street to get back in the car, and I turned around and said, God, wouldn't it be neat to own a theater someday? <laughs> Did you we think you were just kind of arm around each other looking, <laughs> looking back across the street at the theater. And she said, yeah, that'd be kind of neat to do in our, in our retirement. And I went home that day, and I Googled the Balboa Theater, and the first thing that came up was that Gary Meyer, the owner at the time, was selling it, and that there was an, uh, 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 what they were calling a town hall meeting. It, this was a Wednesday. It was going to happen on Saturday. Oh, wow. So I thought, what oh, year was that? This was 2011. And so I sent him an email and he responded to me right away. And, uh, and I went to the town hall meeting on Saturday. And literally, this is between Wednesday and Saturday. <laughs> wow. And I went to the town hall meeting on Saturday and everybody kept on going, oh, you're Adam, you're Adam. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, this, this is all moving kind of quickly. And so in that day, uh, I, I met Gary Meyer and we f- started to formulate the deal for it. And I also met Alfonso Felder who is the president of the San Francisco Neighborhood Theater Foundation, who had a few years before purchased the Vogue Theater. And he he basically said, hey, do you, you want kind of a two-for-one out of this? Well, you know, it would be great if you operated our theater as well. And so, you know, I went from just being a movie enthusiast to a movie owner in a really quick time. In three time. days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I've owned restaurants and bars and music venues. So, and I thought, well, entertainment, we're, you know, we're in the same, we're in the same wheelhouse here. You know, we're, we're, it's all a, a big world of entertainment. And it's, and, and I think luckily I went into it naively like that because it wasn't really anything like my other businesses. <laughs> uh, but, but luckily I, I, I just, I just sort of charged through the, the beginning of it. Uh-huh. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, and I guess now, some years down the line, there are parallels. I can say entertainment is entertainment at this point, but it's different. The movie business is different than, say, the live music business yeah. by a lot. Do you remember the movie that you saw with your wife that night at the Balboa? Yes, we saw Tower Heist, oh. which is a wow. really bad movie. Eddie with Murphy, Eddie Murphy, with, uh, <laughs> Ben Stiller. Yep, and, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of got a, a, an all-star cast, but it's not a it's not a quality <laughs> not an movie. all-star no. movie. Yeah, that's no Double Jeopardy. No, so, it's no. definitely not. <laughs> so, hey, did you really never consider this until that night? No. I, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's, you know, venues I've considered to be my business. And, and so it made, it seemed very logical to me at the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I know a lot about movies. And I've since learned I don't know anything about <laughs> movies, and com- especially when you meet and speak to somebody like Gary Meyer, who knows, uh, uh, is a wealth of movie knowledge. So what's the hardest part and what's the best part about running movie theaters? <sighs> what's the, the, you know, the best part is the, is the staff. They're great. I mean, we we, uh, we have a, such a dedicated staff. 
we haven't had any turnover in years, and they just love it. They love movies, and they love the, the place, and they really take good care of it. And that, that's that's my that's my favorite part. The hardest part is is uh is you know keeping them going. They, they're old buildings, and they and they break and the roof leaks, and you know, and and it, it, there's 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 sort of like little different issues all the time, mm-hmm. and those are the ones that aren't they're not fun. You know, it, it's a you know, there's maintaining the neon and, and just do, doing all those little things. All these buildings are not designed to be ADA compliant. And, you know, there's a million little things like that. That's mm-hmm. the tough part. How, you know? how old are the two theaters, Balboa and Vogue? Vogue is one of the oldest in the Bay Area, yeah. correct? And, yeah, and I think it's 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 one of the oldest in the world, too, really. <laughs> I mean, it's probably it, – it, there's, there's the history on that isn't very good, but the Vogue has been open since 1912, Oh my gosh! And what's the address? What, what Thirty-two ninety Sacramento Street. Yeah. Right. So right at Sacramento and Presidio, and uh, I mean that that theater, uh, it didn't have a talkie movie until seventeen years into being open. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then the Balboa has been open since nineteen twenty-six. And what has been the most successful movie that you've shown at the Balboa? Uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Okay. That that oh no, and actually no that got beaten out by uh, Black Panther. Oh, nice. I thought it would never be defeated, and then Black Panther took us all by surprise. And, and How many weeks did you have Black Panther? Maybe eight. Because we were talking um, before we started recording about the record for the longest-running movie at the Balboa was... The Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A classic. And you said it was, like, for over a year? Yep, over a year. And at the Vogue... And this is when it came out. Yeah. This wasn't like yeah. so that know, would have been, 2012. No, right? <laughs> I think I would have been 61. Am I right on that? That Something. sounds yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And at the Vogue, Around the World in 80 Days played for almost two years. And then years later, uh, The Gods Must Be Crazy, I think it was 80 weeks too. So almost two years for that one as well. What was different? Did people keep going back to see the same movie over and over again? Or why did movies stay so much longer? Good question. I don't know. Yeah. It, right. It, 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 well, there, there were. I mean, I've I've looked back. Like the the fox is the beautiful just palace on Market Street that got torn down. Um, Herb Kane encouraged it to get torn down. What? And it was just years before SHN, uh, Shorenstein Hayes, and 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 uh, on the other end, uh, Bill Graham started buying theaters and using them as music venues. So mm-hmm. there's a good chance it would have been saved if it if the city just kind of held on to what it was for Herb five Kane's years. Logic? Oh, that they were going to build this beautiful new shiny office tower there and get oh rid of this God. theater nobody goes to. It was the Fox Tower, that ugly oh. brown, horrible tower. Oh, God, it, that is such an ugly I get, building. Don't get me started. You already did. <laughs> but the Fox, one of the reasons it went out of business is it could only show Fox movies. So, like, Bridge on the River Kwai was not at the Fox Theater. Um, Sound of Music, uh, uh was not at the Fox Theater. Gone with the Wind was not at the Fox Theater. They would play at the theater that was affiliated with oh, that movie I and that studio. That. So I think back then, now Gods Must Be Crazy, I think by then, you know, people were, were able to shuffle films around. But back in, in 1961, that may have been one of two places in the city that you could see the sound mm-hmm. of music. It might have been the only place you could see it. So people would come and see it for a year. Wow, that's a lot of Edelweiss. I hope that's right because I'll get a ton of... <laughs> there's a lot of like... Adam, back me up on this. There's a lot of, like, ton of hardcore theater people oh my who God, people will, know. they will know. So I hope that got that right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out. Or correct us. <laughs> correct us. Yeah. 
And we visited you at the Balboa a couple of weeks ago and saw that you have a really cool collection of uh, memorabilia from San Francisco, a lot of Playland at the Beach stuff. Can you talk about how you got interested in that? Sure. So, uh, and this is a little bit of a, of a tangent here, but uh, there's a gentleman named Kevin Hunsinger, and he, uh, up until January 1 of this year, was one of the owners of Green Apple Books, which we consider a, a, a sister organization. And uh, he left to start a museum that we're working on together. It's called the San Francisco Cultural History Museum. Uh, and if you go to sfcitymuseum.org, there's a, the, you'll see the bones of our website. But the, the idea is to begin a museum that, that kind of shows the kind of oddball history of San Francisco that you don't, that you came here to see, but you don't, it's, it's not as easy to find as you might like. To, you know, you might want to think, and uh, so we started by making a, pl- a big acquisition of Playland items. Uh, there was a, a bunch of it for auction, which turned into an outpouring of people who just have Playland objects. Even just yesterday, somebody gave me a new one. There's people, you know, have just been collecting little things for all these years, uh, and that, you know, and after a while, when you have it home in your closet, you'd really rather that it was just out there <laughs> being looked at by somebody. And so, and that has turned, you know, we're, we're really just trying to have a collection of everything, like I said, that you came here to see, mm-hmm. whether it be the Diggers or Richard Brodigan or, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of old San Francisco things that are, that are sort of underrepresented out mm-hmm. there. Where do you find all this stuff? Uh, you, you know, p- people... People, as you know, at the neighborhood that the Balboa is in, the Richmond District, there's a lot of people that have been there for multiple generations. And as soon as people started hearing about it, people just started sort of calling up and sending emails and saying, I've got, I've got this and I've got that. We've got a set of dishes. It used to be that if you went to the Balboa every Saturday night for the year, after at the end of a year, you would have a 52-piece set of dishes. Really? And, yeah. And somebody recently gave us a set of dishes <laughs> – uh, you know, it, from that their mom had gotten in the 30s or 40s. Wow. That's awesome. And so do you envision all of this being in, like, one location eventually that people can go? Yes. Be, like, in a museum? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think by the third quarter of this year, we'll be really looking for a location. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to acquire a little bit more, and, we can, and you know, we need, to, we need to get our money together. Mm-hmm. I, I've noticed a lot of it's at the Balboa. Um, I, I don't think I had been to the Balboa since the pre-Tower Heist years. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember going there, and it was like a classic theater, and it was really nice inside. You got that big lobby, and, and maybe there was some stuff on the walls. But it's a little bit of a museum right now. I mean, it seems like you're yeah. filling the theater. It's way cooler than like a chain theater. Totally. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, there's as we got the little things, you know, I said, "Hey, Kevin, do you mind if we just kind of show this stuff or should we <laughs> save it for the museum?" And he said, "No, let's show it." So we have a we have a bumper car from Playland in there. Um, we have this a, a Tenowin wheel that's actually an old theater object where you would you would win and I'm pretty sure actually you would win the set of plates all in one fell swoop by winning the Tenowin which is just, it's a little bit of a wheel of fortune. We have one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a, and a lot of Sutro's memorabilia and Playland memorabilia uh, and old San Francisco movie memorabilia. Very cool. That's great. So, and we're going to have a movie. 
Yeah, we haven't talked about that yet. We haven't talked about that. So I married an axe murderer. (laughs) This is our first. Heather and I, Total SF, that's kind of our brand. We've been doing a lot of things together at the Chronicle. Just fun stuff, community-based, discovering San Francisco. And we thought Balboa would just be a perfect fit and then met with you, and you seemed like a perfect fit. Yeah, you're totally Total SF. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to have a movie. uh, (laughs) April 4th. Uh, 7.30 p.m., but we're going to have some stuff going on before yes, that. Yes, we're going to yeah. record a tribute to the Richmond District podcast in the lobby beforehand. With some Richmond all-stars, people <laughs> from the Richmond District who love the Richmond District, and we're just going to pay tribute to the Richmond District on a podcast. So people can just come and watch yeah. us. They can buy beer and wine and popcorn and all the good movie snacks and listen to us record a podcast and hang out and then go see the most underrated San Francisco movie, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Love this movie. Have you seen it, yes. Adam? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It yeah. is an underrated San Francisco movie. Yeah. Filmed partially in the San Francisco Chronicle. So we're going to pay tribute to that. We're, we're actually, we have a podcast scheduled just on So I Married an Axe Murderer. <laughs> but we're breaking the news here um, that we're going to have that screening. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, could I get a little real? I have some old school like some people have never seen or haven't seen in a while old school like san francisco commercials and stuff like that can we run a little three or four minute reel before the movie oh yeah yeah you you up for that of course all right so i think this is going to be super fun and we're hoping that this might lead to a series um of total sf movie nights where we show other movies filmed in san francisco so we're trying to collect people's opinions on best san francisco movies i ask this question of everybody in the lightning round on my podcast which is more political um what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? And I've tripped up a lot of politicians with this question. Adam, you wouldn't believe how poorly prepared politicians are for her lightning round. Either the burrito question or the film question, they always yeah. find a Draw way to blank. botch it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just seems like something you could answer instinctively, but they yeah. freeze up. So, so. Um, almost everybody has one of two answers. Vertigo is the more serious respectable in quotes answer and then mrs doubtfire is the answer if you're trying to be like the fun politician Mm. but hardly anybody ever says anything different so we're trying to collect more opinions on what is the best movie filmed in san francisco and i came up with the so i married an ex-murderer suggestion because i used to watch that a lot with my college roommate we might have been imbibing while doing so (laughs) um so it just holds a place in my heart but what do you guys think is the best san francisco movie my favorite is Star Trek IV. Um, I just love everything about it. I love the spirit of it, that they took the Star Trek movie and, and the series that was going on and managed to somehow you know steer it into San Francisco in the 1980s. And it's funny, and it goes all over the city in the Bay Area, and I just love watching that movie. I think the best movie is The Conversation. Mm. Um, Francis Ford Coppola... Uh, all around San Francisco, it's it's uh, about someone who's using a lot of audio and investigation to solve a crime, and um, Gene Hackman's in it, and he's fantastic. The, the sound in it is so good. I mean, it just gets the sound and sights of San Francisco, and it's just a great movie and kind of underrated. So that's my pick. Adam? Uh, I, I, you know, one that I really think is underrated, and I think it might have just been on HBO all the time when I was a kid is Foul Play. I oh, bet you I've seen that nice. movie 20 times. You know, Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn. I think I've seen Meredith in it. He lives in a houseboat in Sausalito. <laughs> Chevy Chase, he's a, he's a private investigator. Goldie Hawn is, is a librarian. 
uh, and Burgess Meredith is, is her kindly landlord, but he owns a <laughs> snake uh, that's always kind of getting out and around. And there's they well, I don't want to spoilers, but the 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 penultimate scene happens in the opera house oh. uh, during the Mikado, and it's actually I just realized recently it's very much like Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much, the second version with Jimmy Stewart. There's a, some real similarities to the final the final scene there, but I love that movie, and I love Harold and Maude. Awesome, nice. good pick. And both of those were I just I just realized today as I was trying not to flub this you know, this, this thing too much, <laughs> that they were both written by the same man. Oh, really? Harold and Maude and Foul Play, both screenplays were written by a guy named Higgins. Really? Yeah. I don't Excellent. know Excellent. I wonder if you... William Higgins, I think. Huh. I'm going to do some Higgins research before our <laughs> yeah. tribute to Richmond District podcast. Um <laughs> That's excellent. Great picks. Yeah. And great to have you here. I'm so glad you came in. Thanks. Uh, it was it's great to be here with you. Yeah. And we're going to see you soon. We're going to see you April 4th, 7.30 is the movie Showtime. starting. Showtime. 6.30. 6.30. 6.30 is the podcast. And uh, beer and wine. We mentioned that, but we should mention it again. <laughs> yeah. You sell It's It's. Yeah. You do? It's It's. Absolutely. Oh do you have to get that out of like, does that get in the seats and stuff? Is that a problem? Do people well, bring it in the theater? It gets in the seats, but it's not a problem. <laughs> All right, it's, a problem. it's better than the seats on Bart. Right? It's not a reason not to go. Um, so thank you so much for coming. We're going to see you in a month. In a month. In a month. And can people buy tickets now? They can. So if you go to the website, which is balboamovies.com, and you can just click on the movie, and, and you'll, you'll buy them right up. So people can buy tickets to So I Married an Axe Murderer now and get a jump. In case there's just this flood and it sells out instantly. Like the Carnet exactly. line, you can beat, beat the, the line. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you soon. See you soon. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Heather Knight and Adam Bergeron. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.